Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. Have another ATP Challenger Tour-centric episode for all of you listeners today. I am joined once again by Cracked Rackets contributor David Gertler to break down the latest happenings at the Challenger level. We talk about the runs from two former college tennis stands out in former Mississippi State All-American Nuno Borges, former NCAA singles champion for Ohio State, Blaz Roll. Rolla was a title winner last week. Borges made the final of the challenger in Portugal. We talk about how both of those guys were able to do it, recap the rest of last week's action, talk about what we've seen unfold thus far at the week's three ATP challenger level events in Split, Orlando, and Belgrade, talk about what we expect to happen throughout the rest of those three events as well. A fantastic in-depth discussion, as is always the case whenever David's able to take the time to join us here on the show. Of course, the reason we are able to do these shows day in, day out, week in, week out here at Cracked Rackets is because of the support we get from all of you fantastic listeners who are are so kind in reaching out and expressing your gratitude for our podcast. You want to know why we do it? It's for you listeners. It's to try and bring our expanded and extended tennis community together. Of course, we're doing that day in, day out on our Patreon channel. If you want to join our Cracked Rackets, Rackets Patreon family. Please check out the link, patreon.com slash cracked rackets. You can find it on our website, crackedrackets.com. So grateful for all of those, uh, all of you out there who have extended support to us through Patreon. Uh, it really is what helps makes the wheels turn. And so, again, a huge thank you to all of you for doing that. And a huge thank you to our friends at Turnagrip, the lifeblood of this great job podcast. You guys know the deal. Everyone knows Turnagrip. It's that bluish, purplish hue you see at the bottom of so many many touring professionals. It is the only grip that gets tackier when you sweat. The only grip whose performance in hot and humid conditions remains unmatched. Did you know the color is trademarked? You probably didn't, but that bluish purple hue that could be seen on the rackets of hundreding tour of touring pros could be seen on your racket today. You want to join the Turner Grip family, contact them at sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. That's sales at uniquesports.com. Sports.com or 800-554-3707. You let them know we sent you there. They'll be sure to treat you like family. That's the theme of this intro. That's what we try and do here at Cracked Rackets. So grateful to be a part of the Turner Grip family. If you would like to get involved, contact sales at uniquesports.com or 800-554-3707. With that in mind, let's get to today's conversation with Cracked Rackets contributor David Gertler discussing all of the latest happenings on the ATP Challenger Tour. Joining us on the podcast once again today, as he does almost weekly now here at Cracked Rackets, you know him as a writer on our website and for the last word on tennis website. You may also know his all about tennis blog. I know him as my friend David Gertler. David, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing this week? Uh, Stretched thin, but okay. 
<laughs> Stretch thin in a good way? Is it like uh, there's Challenger tennis at two different European events, and then you've got the Orlando Challenger all day, so it's just 18 hours of tennis stretch thin, or like real-world problems? It's like real-world, I have a million things, and, they, <laughs> and, I, and sometimes it feels like my head's going to explode. <laughs> oh, that's, that's half the fun, right? That's how we rock and roll. That's yeah. uh, that, that's why we get up every day. But no, with all of that in mind, obviously, I know I and our listeners greatly appreciate you taking the time to chat oh, with no, me today. Oh, I wasn't trying to get sympathy. No, no. No sympathy. <laughs> all right, good. I appreciate that. Uh, that's, again, why we always like to have you on the show. And, of course, as we always do when we have you, we're going to focus on the Challenger action happening across the globe. There were two ATP Challenger events last week that happened on Red Clay. We've got three this week, two of them on clay, and then the return of North American Challenger tennis, and perhaps most importantly for all of us tennis fans, the return of air traffic controller Mike Cation at the Orlando Airport Challenger this week. That is going to be a big focus of our conversation, but of course, as always, let's start by recapping last week's action, and let's start with the tournament. We sort of teased a little bit in last week's show. Of course, the reason we did that is it featured a player near and dear to our hearts here, friend of the program at Cracked Rackets, former Mississippi State standout, and in my opinion, the most underrated men's college tennis player of the 2010s, Nuno Borges, who makes the final in Portugal, first challenger level final now. Unfortunately for the wild card, he ends up losing a 7-6-7-6 final to Pedro Pedro (laughs) Cachin. I believe he was up 5-1 in that second set, unfortunately, saw his lead evaporate. But let's start with not Nuno. only five one. He he was <laughs> he had um, but he he had five. Was it four? Set, yeah, was it four set. or five? He had eight it was eight. Points. Oh my god! It was eight. Because I I think he had four in one game, but it, it was eight he, total. Yeah. So he at five one he had um, he had uh, five set points, and at five three he had three set points he was up 40 love in both games i don't know how he lost that second set (laughs) oh no it was i mean look that was obviously disappointing but you look for nuno who played four years of college tennis at mississippi state he just turned 24 years old and you know again he is on i suppose that's the older side to really get your pro career going but he's been off to the races since uh mm-hmm. the tour re- resumed in august and really since he started playing full time events in the start of 2020 you look just since august of last season david he's 41 and 10 in his last 52 weeks of competition that's an 80% win percentage it includes Runs to finals at, I believe, let's count here, one, two, three, four, five, six different ITF level events. He won four titles in those six, uh, excuse me, he won one, uh, three titles in those six finals. He also had two futures titles, excuse me, three futures titles from 2020 and 2019. For him to now come to the challenger level and you look in his career, Nuno still hasn't played that many challenger matches. And again, that's a product of him playing the four years in college. Six and five in total in the challenger level matches he's played in his career. Now four and two here in the 2021 season. He's up to number 332 in the rankings. And again, if you're winning 80% of your matches at the ITF level, you're probably ready to start playing challengers full time. 
clearly that's the case as he makes the final here. I know you haven't seen him as much as I have, David, yeah. so I'm a little bit more biased coming into him. Curious what your first reaction was. I imagine this was your first real deep dive into the game of Nuno Borges. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I actually watched him, and he lost to Paul Jubb, right? In, uh, yeah, in the, the final. Uh, yep, 2019. Yeah. I, I watched him in that tournament, actually. That was the first time I'd seen him. Um <laughs> And I, yeah, I've seen him sporadically, you know, here and there. Um, you know, aware, awareness, um, the teams were a little, you know, the fields were a little weaker. He did play Kolar last week in the closest match, or two weeks ago, in the closest match that Kolar had all tournament. So I'm not surprised he made the final here. He had a nice win over Elias um, in the semifinals where he held Elias to uh, 45% of his second serves won. Um I th- I think you know his forehand looks you know pretty explosive. Um, I do think there's a mo- moments where he can move up to the net more, but that'll come with experience. Um, solid baseliner. I can see him hanging around the challenger level for sure. Yeah, I the thing that jumps out for Nuno is that serve forehand combo. His kick serve on the ad side is just filthy. Yeah. I mean, it always has been, and right now I know he's still dealing with a, a little bit of a shoulder injury, so he can't quite snap it like I think he's going to be able to when he's healthy and in his prime, but that first serve is going to work on hard courts, it's going to work on clay courts, it's going to set up opportunities for him to play plus one tennis, and when he gets a clean look at his forehand, you know, the running joke throughout his college tennis career was it's hilarious how talented Nuno Borges is considering he's just not that good of an athlete yet, and like... He's not the most fluid guy yet. He's getting better. Like, he does move out of his corners. His movement's not bad. It's just fine. Yeah. But when he finds forehands, and he does just seem to have this ability to find forehands at so many different locations on the court, whether it's inside out, inside in, he just hits that ball so heavy. It snaps through the court. Uh, I mean, you look for him this week. Only made about, you know, 62% of his first mm-hmm. serves, but was constantly winning 65% of those first serve points, winning over over 50% of his second serve points. You know, I think he was the only, the most he was broken in any individual match was three times. And I believe uh, three of his five matches went three sets. The final was seven, six, seven, six. That's pretty good serving performance for the week. You, you mentioned the draw that helped, you know, the fact that he got Gastow Elias in that semifinal he played and who he played six million times during the pandemic months in exhibition events in Portugal. There are no secrets between those two. But it's also worth noting Nuno uh, won the doubles title here, right? Yeah, and it's just – it's a well-rounded game. I agree it's, it would be nice to see him move forward more, but it's not like the volleying skills aren't there. His hands are just so gifted. He's just like a guy who – some people were meant to swing tennis rackets. He's one of them. Yeah, you mentioned well-rounded. Um now the sample size is small, but he's won in the course of his career seventy seventy two percent of his clay court matches and seventy five percent of his hard court matches. So that, those are really high percentages, and it shows that he has a good surface uh, versatility. Yeah, and like to be honest, it in terms of the level of play that skews the sample size. But like he's played over fifty clay court matches, seventy percent clip. He's played over a hundred hard court matches at a seventy seven percent clip. He's had success at every level on any surface he's played thus far in his pro career. You should not be surprised. I mean, I watched him in college. I watched him compete and beat the torpor guards of the world. The you know not quite Kowski because age wise it doesn't just quite line 
line up, but you know the Petros Risokoses, the Borna Gojos of the world, he was beating them. He was the best player in college tennis, or if not the best, certainly one of the best. He's a top 200 guy. Like yeah. that's what it takes 200. to be a top five player in men's college tennis. I think his ceiling is higher than that. Like I really do. The better he gets as a mover, he's got like the serve and the forehand are top 100 weapons, right? right. And you, you just like that moving forward. Can the rest of his game match up to that? That's the question. But I just think right now he's a top 200 player and should be playing challengers. Is that fair? Yes. I'm not sold on his ceiling maybe being as high as you are. To... It's fair. I'm biased. Like 200, yes. 200, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. The thing is, mm. I've just – you can't measure this, and this is something because I know his game well. The guy's just a winner. Like, the amount of times I've seen him go down a break 3-1 in college and then just be like, kind of look at the team scoreboard and be like, oh, I need to win this match to put our team in a comfortable position. Let me win the next five games and then win the second set 6-1. And it's like, yep, yep, he's off the court 3-1. He earned another victory. He's just a guy. I think Petros Frisokos is the same way. Like, I think he, if healthy, will get into the top 200 because they just know how to win. And, like... That you you can't you can't put a quantitative value on that skill, but he's got the weapons and he knows how to maneuver a tennis court. All good things for Nuno, but you know he was only the finalist, by the way. Qualifier Pedro Kachin, and I'm definitely butchering. Is it Kachin? Kachin. Uh, um, if I had to guess with my limited Spanish education, I would say Kachin, but I'm not sure. We'll go with that then. Kachin, who, by the way, had his birthday just two days ago. Happy birthday to him. And on his birthday, 26th birthday, he's a 95er. Shout out to the 95ers. He earns, I believe, first challenger title second. of uh, – second challenger title. Thank you. I believe he won you. one in uh, 2015. Yeah, first since 20 uh, – and he made a final in 2018 as well. But, you know, first uh, – second title for him on the year. He won a Futures event in Antalya in the middle of February. You look for catching now. 34 and 13. You know what's and so hit. crazy? In 2015, in that challenger, he, he beat Karenio Busta to win it. <laughs> that's hilarious. I mean, it's yeah, it sense. makes sense. Five years ago, six years ago, that's where Karenio Busta would have been. And, but, like, it's just so crazy how their how their careers have diverged since that match, you know? No, you look for 2016, he goes... 18 and 20 2017 he had a 15 uh, a 57 and 25 season that included a 6 and 6 record on the challenger level but uh included a quarterfinal and a semifinal there both of those results coming on clay you look for him 2018 he went 14 and 18 at the challenger level he did make a final in buenos aires but uh, i think that was one of only 3 uh quarterfinal or higher he made during the year you look for him 2019 that was a rough year 12 and 25 on the challenger level lost first round uh, I think he lost one two three four five six seven he lost his final 10 matches at the challenger level of the 2019 season but you know he has bounced back here to start this season he, he was a guy who went down to the ITF level to find his confidence you have to respect 
that sort of grind, that yeah. sort of decision think, uh, from him, and it paid off. Yeah, yeah I think Holger Rune can learn something uh, from that. Oh, I disagree. That was an <laughs> unneeded pot shot. Holger Rune has been great. Are you saying he needs to go to the challenger level? Uh, Is yeah, that what you're trying to say? Ch- oh, okay. He shouldn't be uh, taken uh, out at a Masters 1000. Is what I'm trying oh, to say. well, <laughs> if that's what you're saying, I have no disagreement with that. That That's completely fair. But, I mean, look, for <laughs> catching now, he beat Adrian yeah. Andreev. That's a really nice win straight sets. He beats uh, Ben Chatree. That's a really nice win in straight sets. You look for him over the past couple of months, uh, some of the wins he's gotten at the future circuit. It's a guy who's starting to find his best tennis now. I believe there was a big Arthur Fee, the Frenchman, yes, push yes. this morning on tennis Twitter. Cashin beat Arthur Fee in the round of 16 in Antalya, 2-3, and three, back in January. He's beaten Alex Mulcan. He's beaten Tomas Bellucci. I mean, not incredible wins, but this is a guy who deserves to be back in the top 300, which is where he's at following this title. Yeah, I... When I when you watch him, there's nothing that like jumps out off the page at you, but he's just mm-hmm. solid. What I loved of what he did this past week is he really returned second serves well. So in qualif- in qual- through the first round, he qualified for this tournament. None of his opponents made over thirty percent, won over thirty percent of their second service points in the entire tournament. The highest amount of second serve points won was in the semifinals against Oliveira, who won fifty four percent of his second serves, but in that match, he only won 50% of his first serves, so he actually won a higher percentage of second serves than first serves. And even in the finals, Nuno only won uh, 47% of his second serves. It was a great, you know, he returned well this week, and he played solid tennis, and, you know, he didn't really, he, he, he was really just, in the key moments, he was the one making the play. Yeah, he moved the ball really well around the court. I agree with you. He's so fluid on the clay and just, yeah, could go down the line, could go cross, could absorb the pace. He was just a rock. And, like, you look in his career now, it's not a surprise, I don't think, to learn that for him uh, in his career in hard court matches, only played 29. So of his 500 or 493 career matches, only 29 of them have come on hard courts. That's obviously very telling because he's not a guy with a big weapon. He's a guy who moves the ball around the court well and, you know, relies on his physicality, relies on his defensive skills to get through matches. And that was good enough for him to get the job done this week. And again, six and six against Nuno. If Nuno closes one of those set points in the second, who knows what happens? But in a pressure moment, sometimes all you got to do is be the guy who's putting the ball in play. And that's always going to be him. Yeah, and it's so funny. You mentioned, you know, the hard versus clay. He's only played, so he's played over, I want to say this is like over 600 matches on clay. On hard and grass combined, he's played 27, 27 um, and then five on the other surface. So 32 matches on non-clay and over 600 on clay. That's pretty nuts. Yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. That that's certainly a skewed. Or, oh, excuse me, over five hundred. Yeah, no, that's certainly again a skewed sort of court selection. But again, I, I want to get to uh, this week's event. So you look through yes. the rest of this draw here in Portugal. Nuno uh, and catching your two finalists, catching obviously earns the title. Your semi-finalists, Gastão Elias, Goncalo Oliveira. Your quarter-finalists, Gianmarco Moroni, Manuel Guinard, Dimitar Kuzmanov, and Tiago Katsau. Uh, David, your thoughts on the rest of this week's action? I know we lost what I think. 
Ota and Escobedo in yeah. the round of 16. We lost Kakao and Ben three. So your top four seeds were all gone by the quarterfinals. Uh, but that's the name of the game in clay yeah. court tennis, right? Yeah. So uh, just a couple things. Um, Elias had another great week. I was kind of expecting him to run out of gas. He looked like against Kolar in the final two weeks ago, like he was kind of running low on energy, but he really, he played, a, he, he had a tough two first two rounds against Trungaliti and Jimeno Valero, and he handled them both in straight sets. So good for him for, you know, not just, it's not just about that one week. It's can you sustain it? And for Elias, he was able to sustain it. Um, I thought Maroney was going to be making a run, and then Kachin shut him down. Um, he really suffered. Kachin uh, really suffocated Maroney in that third set. Um, he got the uh, he got the break in the first game, and then he didn't uh, face a single break point for the rest of the set in that third set. Um, so that was a great performance for Kachin because I really thought Maroney was coming on strong. Um, yeah, Oscar Ate, he's disappointed a little um, recently. Uh, he's lost uh, six of his past seven matches. It's just going back to 2020. It's just he's uh, on the year. He's just one in five. Um, so, yeah, I expected a little more from him. But uh, good for Giancarlo Oliveira for, for getting that win over yeah. Ate. No, it was definitely a softer draw in terms of the challengers you'll see, and that's because there were two ATP level events, and you know people heading to Madrid and or Madrid, excuse me, Monte Carlo, and so because the top level players didn't play last week, you saw guys like Munar, guys like Alcaraz, who would have otherwise played the challenger level events, going off and playing two fifties. But yeah, I got to give credit to uh, a bunch of the Portuguese players too, as well, defending their home turf. Uh, you know, I think there were what four Portuguese players in the quarterfinals maybe it was five um it's a pretty good result and it was a very very fun event um but with that in mind let's switch gears now talk about split number one it was our other challenger event that happened last week in croatia and another college tennis tie-in and i have to say and this was this was early alex gruskin it's a story for the listeners and for you david you know in terms of my earliest predictions, and I've always had a type. If you've been 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", you had length, fluidity, and power, I was always going to like you. I swear, the first thing I ever got right, it was maybe 2006 or 2007 Australian Open, and my older brother and I were watching Marin Chilich play, and I said, Eric, I'm telling you, this Chilich guy is going to be really freaking good. And he did win a Grand Slam, so I'll take that as a victory. But, you know, another guy who I would have bet that house on that he was going to spend the majority of his career in the top 100 and I'll say I didn't know as much then as I do now about what the level takes how thin the margins are between the top of the challenger game and the, the top 100 um, but Blazrola is a guy I would have bet the house on he was so good throughout oh, his college man. tennis career he played for Ohio State though right yeah but oh. you know I got to see it in person he came as a freshman and almost beat Evan King. I'm pretty sure Evan King ended up winning the match, and he was the only Michigan player to win. Uh, but I was like, who the hell is this? I was like, this freshman crushes the ball. He makes it look so easy. 6'4", six, 6'5", six, happens to be handsome as well. So you're just like, <laughs> oh, man, it's that added bonus. And just, you know, he then goes on to be a top player in the country, win the NCAA tournament. That final he played against Jameer Jenkins, one of my favorite matches uh, the year he won NCAA singles final. And I 
I think his senior or his final year, which might have been his junior year, he only lost once, and it was to Jared Hiltzik at Illinois, which is always such a tough place to play. And then, you know, pretty quickly in his career, he did ascend into the top 100, reached number 78 in the world in 2015, which is right when he was fresh out of college. And I was just like, yep, this all makes sense. Yeah. But since then, it's been up and down for Blas Rolla, mm-hmm. and you look for him, 2018 season, he goes 29 and 25, 2019, 40 and 26, uh, primarily at the challenger level last year, 10 and 12, but now to start this season, he's 11 and 9, and that includes runs to a quarterfinal in Biela on the hard courts, and now a title run here in split as he knocks off Andrea Colarini in a three-set semifinal, and then Blaz Kavcic in a three-set <laughs> final. The Sorry, what were you saying, David? The match was really good stuff from both players. Uh, I, I thought both matches in general. You looked for Rolla. He made about 65% of his first serves for the tournament. He, you know, was only broken once in three – or it was broken once or fewer times, excuse me, in three out of, I believe, his five victories. Like, that's a pretty good week at the – that's a pretty good week at the office for Blas Rolla. Yeah, and I, you know, when I think of Rolla, I typically think of him on faster surfaces, you know, using that big lefty serve and really attacking with the forehand. But he made it work on the uh, clay really well. Um, He really, he was not missing much. He was getting the ball deep in the court. He was controlling the baseline. It was a really impressive week. And yeah, a little unexpected, but, you know, he's he showed that he still has it. Um, and he really, he could have folded at the end of that Colorini match. Um, and he didn't. And I, I was impressed, you know, if was playing well too, um, Tavchich was playing really well. And so for him to got through that one, um, was a really good result. Uh, he won his, uh, Tavchich, uh, was a three set warrior. He won his, uh, the three matches before Rolla, um, he had won in three sets. Um, and so I thought, you know, if it goes to three sets, he might have, you know, he's been very comfortable playing in those pressure moments, you know, recently. And I thought he might pull it out, but good for Rolla. Um, good one. Yeah. No, I, I mean, so quickly for you know Blazrola who just knocked off Ben Bonzi today 2 and 2 as well to continue his run of success he's made 13 challenger finals in his career uh 9 of them have come on clay courts david and you look for him his career splits he's played over 150 matches at both the clay and hard court on both clay and hard courts at the challenger level uh for his career he's won 58% of his challenger matches 82 and 71 on hard courts. That's a 54% win percentage. 119 and 74, 62% win percentage on clay. It's interesting to me, David, that you associate him more with a fast hard court. And I get it with his size, the big serve, the big forehand. That makes sense. But why I've always been such a fan of his is he does move the ball so well around yeah. the court. And he does open things up with his forehand. And yeah, that's the shot he wants to finish with. And I think his backhand can get jammed at by pace at times because he does play it a little bit close to his body but like 
he's just a like such a solid out. This is a guy who's been top two hundred now for seven straight years, and it's like if you want to epitomize how thin the margins are between the top one hundred and the top two hundred, look at Blaz Rolla who, when yeah. he looks good, is pretty unequivocally a top 100 player, and yet somehow, you know, has not found himself in the top 100 in quite a bit of time. Like, again, it's tennis is a confidence-based sport, and Rolla doesn't have that right now, and he's dealt with a bunch of different nagging injuries throughout his career, but if we get a Blaz Rolla resurgence and he turns 31 in October, if this is, like, another big push for him, I'd be all in on that. And by the way, the concept that is now 31 is terrifying david like that is that really means i am an adult now because yeah he was a college tennis superstar in my early years that he's also born october 5th i'm born october 6th uh so shout out to the october crew but yeah i mean i'm a roller fan it it, the thing is his it's a little chillichy in that he doesn't he, okay, this is the comparison. It's Chilichi in that he doesn't overwhelm you with every ground stroke he hits, but the problem is it's also a little Bertici, and he's not quite as fluid of an athlete as a Marin Chilich type six foot six body. Yeah, it is interesting that he's won two uh, clay court challengers, and that. And when I look at his results, I completely forgot that was his win over Ramanathan in Tallahassee a few years ago. I remember yeah. watch that match. It was one of the craziest matches i've seen on the challenger tour um yeah so he he really is versatile he he can play on the clay i do i do see both the chillich and the burdick uh comparisons um just in the yeah there's, there's that little bit of like a stiffness maybe there mm-hmm. um is that what you're kind of referring to absolutely that's it's a little bit the worst of both habits like that's i mean when i say the worst let's be clear he's a top 200 players guy's freaking amazing but in that he's got the bad habits from chillich and yes he's six foot six but he doesn't turn into every ground stroke the way he could with his frame and then he's got the bad habit of burdich of yeah he's a little bit stiff it's not quite as fluid as he'd need to be to be a consistent top 100 guy yeah, um, but that's not that doesn't mean that he's had a bad career or, any, you know, or anything. No, not and which is not what I'm trying to imply yeah, by yeah. any stretch. I'm just saying, why is he not top 100 despite yeah. all of the things he can do? That would be my explanation. Yeah, yeah, I was just clarifying that, like, we're not saying that he's no, 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 hundred no, percent. And I appreciate yeah. you doing that because yeah. again, guy just won a freaking challenger, absolute yeah. stud. You talked about Kavchich, who just survives. He's another much like Cashin, just a grinder. Solid. He's gonna put a ton of balls in the court. Yeah. No glaring weakness. But the last guy I want to talk about, I mean, if you want to talk Kavchich, Kolarini, or any of the other, you know, Kokonakis has looked good. Vukic finally starting to bounce back. He's looked good. But you know... I've always looked for an. Ex- I'm always looking for an excuse to talk about my guy Casper Zook, who I'm telling you, David, he continues to prove it week in, week yeah. out. You look for him now here in the 2021 season. Fourteen, or excuse me, since the two uh, in the 2021 season, yes, he has made the quarterfinals or better in all five of the challengers that have completed that he's competed in. He's 37 and nine overall with a 14 and five record in ATP challenger match. With his recent run of results, he's up to a new career high of number 212, which, of course, is not the standard in the pace set by the Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverevs, Davidovich, Fokinas even of the world. But to be number 212 at age 22 and clearly playing the best tennis of your career, every number, every metric, and then the eye test as well, David, points to Kasper Zouk being on the rise in the men's tennis game. 
Yeah, no, I mean, even in his loss to Kavchic, his numbers weren't that bad. 62% first serves one, mm-hmm. set 58% second serves one. Um, he had a very impressive uh, victory over Kokonakis. Um, and now this week, too, he's doing great. Uh, hasn't dropped a set uh, this week in split. Uh, and so I think he could very well, and I, I don't want to jinx it, but he could <laughs> He could very well win the tournament, uh, but I don't want to jinx it. Did he beat Martyr today? Did that finish? I'm sorry, I missed that. Or are they are they a tomorrow match? They might be uh, a tomorrow. Yeah, Martyr match. played really well yesterday. I watched him yesterday. He was yeah, and big. Martyr's got this sort of big weapon that can hurt Zook, right? The one thing you're concerned about is his size. He's what like five eleven, six foot, and it's it's Davidovich Fokina e just a little bit flatter. Like he he's got he's stocky. He moves really well. I don't think that's ever going to be an issue, and I don't think he lacks in pop. The difference between him and Davidovich Fokina again, he hits his ball a little bit flatter, but I mean. I don't know, David. Wins over, you know, the win over Kokonakis. He he absorbed everything Kokonakis threw at him. Was able to change direction really well. The win over Serdarusic, who has played well of late, that's an impressive one. And then, you know, just going through the list on indoor on an indoor hard court to beat Zizou Bergs right now, that's freaking impressive. To yeah. follow that up with a win over Jack Sock, who won one in one in his first round match uh, in Orlando, that's freaking impressive. Mm-hmm. To beat Arthur Rinderneck on an yeah. indoor hard court that's freaking impressive that's very like impressive. to a certain point i know you know i know you're not on the zook bandwagon quite as i am but and i'm not trying to say you're not like a fan of his but i just think like you look at these results now it regardless of how high you think his ceiling is he's approaching that ceiling yes and yeah again surface versatility you know he can beat rinderneck mm-hmm. on uh, indoor hard and now you know we're seeing what he can do on clay yeah, he's a very solid, good player. Um, again, I don't, you know, I, I'm. It's a little too. It's for me with him. It's a little too early to say, you know, where his ceiling is. I really, I can't tell. Um, Can I tell you why you're correct in feeling that way? Why? Because he is only twenty and fifteen in his career in challenger matches. Fourteen and five in twenty twenty one. It's a fantastic start. But it's a three-month stretch. Yeah. Three good months at the challenger level shows you clearly belong. Six good months at the challenger level shows you're ready to start playing ATP events. Six consecutive months, yes. I should say. And then, then now we're starting to talk. Yeah, that, and I think that's a fair – he's halfway through. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say – I would say he, he needs more time, um, but – I think there you can't be anything but impressed with how he started. Um, yeah, it's either six months of quarterfinals or you do like what a Fritz does, what an Alcaraz did, what a Musetti did, and you just like rip off two challenger titles in three weeks. Yeah, and you're, you're just like, oh, yeah, that's ridiculous. That 2015 Fritz uh, run, right? The, that's the OG run. Yes. That's the one I turn to. No, the real OG the one OG is Cos. No, it's Kozlov Sacramento. Yeah, Kozlov yeah. Sacramento. If if you remember the Kozlov Sacramento run, you've been in the game for a long time. Well, I remember the query uh, when he went back to play the California Challengers. Like, in yeah, the, that's he beat he beat Kozlov in that final. Yeah, and I, uh, oh, he didn't go to H. I remember he decided to stick around and play Challengers, which ended up being a great decision for him. Yeah, I mean, I the the event I miss most is Maui. Like, do you remember the Jared Donaldson final in Maui? Am I – is that before your time? No, I vaguely remember it. 
Yeah, what, that yeah. was one of the – that was like, oh, man, 15? 2015 maybe? Who did he 2016? Play? I mean, uh, who did he play in the final? I, it's I, I, was de- I definitely – I mean, I was definitely following calendars then. Yeah, uh, or like the the real. I mean, if you remember the Ryan Williams rise, like that means you've been in tennis Twitter since the <laughs> beginning. If if you remember the twi- tennis Twitter tennis Twitter account Lang, I think was the name for it. Um, and it was like a pretty much the photo was of Ryan Williams and like dedicated to everything Ryan Williams is doing, who's now the coach of Dom Kopfer uh, and was a fantastically talented player in his day. Maui final twenty fifteen. Let's go. Got the year correct. Who did he beat in the final? Qualifier and former UCLA standout Nick Meister. Oh, I'm in my happy zone right now, David. I'm looking at Jared Donaldson's results. 2014, he wins a future. Who? Oh, listen to these 2014 futures wins he had uh, in his runs to titles. He beats number one seed Nikola Miljevic in a 2014 clay court future final. Straight sets for Donaldson. He then beats Jameer Jenkins. Three set final on the summer hard courts. Beats Andrew Harris, former Oklahoma standout, in the next uh, the next week to win back-to-back futures wasn't that a fun stroll that tangent was worth it that was that's a that's a blast in the past nick meister that's a that's a a real blast from the past Uh, i think i just found my happy zone that 2015 (laughs) that was when i was at my because i was still in like a sophomore in college going into my junior year i was starting to figure things out and i was watching a ton of tennis and i had so much free time uh those are yes. I'm in a happy place right now, David. I hope this got you in a happy place as well. No, I. Uh, because... Yeah, I love thinking back to the. Yeah, I, I still think back sometimes about, um, you know, Tiafo Arguello in that uh, in that uh, challenge in 20 it was first Challenger final. Do you remember that? Um, yeah, 2013, no, 2014, one of the years. I say it all of the time. The Tommy Paul Oliver Crawford quarterfinal round of 16 match at Kalamazoo was quietly one of the five best tennis matches I've ever seen in person. And it was a boys 18s round of 16 match, but it was that good. It was just, I was like, oh, I remember that was the first time I think I was like, oh, wow. Like these guys are so good at tennis. I was like, oh my God, I get it now. I, I, I get why Colette Lewis follows them across the country because it's that fun to watch. But anyways, Zouk, a big storyline in Croatia. You also had Petrovic, Basic, Vukic, and Kokonakis Bastic. making runs to the quarterfinals. Your thoughts on all the remaining action, David? Yeah, but Mirza Basic uh, really impressed me with his... Uh... He's uh, in the uh, round of 16 and split now. I didn't expect him to be so good on clay, but he's controlling the ball well, and that first serve is pretty nasty. Um, he's he's now uh, – he beat uh, Istamin uh, yesterday, and now he's playing Colorini, which is going to be a much tougher test. Um, although he actually already played Colorini. I thought this is weird. He actually already played – he beat Colorini, Colorini in qualifying – but uh, they are uh, playing. You know, I think uh, Colorini got in as a lucky loser. Yeah, and so they'll they'll play again. It's one of those weird things in tennis where you can play the same uh, player twice in the same tournament. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I actually would favor Colorini in a rematch. Um, but yeah, yeah. Zook is going to be the match of tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. Well, actually, look at this lineup in split tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to fanboy a little. Uh, <laughs> or this is some of the matches that I think I don't think the order of plays released, but we have 
Basic Kalarini, Catching Halise, Martyr Zook, and Vukic Kolar. Those are four terrific matches. Yeah, I, I'm in. Like, <laughs> I agree. And, uh, you know, again, I, we, we're about to preview all of this week's challenger action momentarily. I would echo everything you'd say. I would also throw in Tenacity Kakanakis is going to get into the main draw of the French Open. He's going to play a five-set first-round match. It's going to take seven hours. You're going to see all of the injuries that he's dealt with over the past two seasons reemerge on his face. But then he's going to win that match, and he's going to get to the second round. And then he's going to get back into the top 100 where he clearly belongs. I mean, the serve, the forehand, elite is too strong of a word, but they belong at the ATP level. Like, it's just, it's, it's just so obvious, and he's got the goods. The question is, can he stay healthy? Big for Vukic to sort of flip around the momentum would, he had struggled here Would you say season. that Kokonakis is the favorite to win uh, split this week? All right, well, with that in mind, let's just transition right into it. And I was going to start with Orlando, but let's start with Split. We can switch up the order. I like this, I mean, David. This is good. This is shows that you're hitting your gear here I'm on the not podcast. Hitting, I'm, I'm hitting the uh, brake button, not my gear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you just shift into the wrong thing. We don't know how to drive stick here at Cracked Rackets. But, um, no, I mean, you look at this week's draw. You look at the results we've seen in Croatia thus far in your round of 16 matches. It's Elias Yimmer, Matthias Borg, Tanasi Kokonakis, and Chem Ilkel all advancing to the quarterfinal round. You look in the draw so far, your number one seed, number two seed, number three seed, number four seed, number five seed, number six seed, number seven seed, number eight seed, all eliminated I, I in this care, event though, already. It's still a stronger field now than it was, you know, like, like Pullman's no offense. Like, I'm sorry, but uh, someone like Kolar is the be- is better right now. Um, so even I agree. And so it's like technically the two seed, in my opinion, it's Kolar advancing is like the stronger player advancing. You know what I mean? Well, so to answer your question, uh, it would be no. I don't think that Kokonakis is the favorite for me at this point. I think you got to go with the two guys who have had a little bit more success. I mean, Zook literally beat him, uh, what was that, last week uh, in the quarterfinals in straight sets. And then you've got Kolar, who won a challenger two weeks ago. And I think those guys on the bottom half of the draw are probably still your favorites. But I mean... You know, for Tenassi Kokonakis, let's see, in his career on the challenge in the challenger level on clay, he is thirteen and four. Uh, and he has already won a challenger final on, on clay. It was Bordeaux. Hey, guess what year we're going back to, David? Twenty fifteen Bordeaux. Tenassi Kokonakis knocks off listen to this run. Basilish Vili, Copahans, Carbeus Benya, Jurgen Zop, and Tiermo de Bakker in the final seven six in the third to earn the title that's a uh, tough he, run yeah he also had a run to the 2014 Hel, uh, Helbron, Helbron semifinals where he lost in the semis to number one seed Jan Leonard Struff this is why you can't let me on tennis abstract middle of the podcast uh-huh. David because I'll start doing these deep dives and we'll lose the thread but I mean, Kokonakis for his career across levels, he's 27 and 23 on clay. That's that's why he can't be quite the favorite. But sure, he could win it. All of these guys can win it. Oh, he's in April 10th, 96. I got to send that. That's a funny note. I have a bunch of friends who were born on April 10th. Again, this is why I can't do deep dives on Tennis Abstract. But 
to answer, you know, to look at this draw here in split, the fact that we've got Kokonakis, the fact that you've got guys in Casper Zouk and, you know, Zdenek Kolar, whose success we just talked about. Vukic was a quarter. Be a problem for Zouk tomorrow. Yeah, and he got a big win over Diaz, but Vukic is coming off of a quarterfinal. Basic coming off of a quarterfinal. Yamur is going to be right there, I think. Yeah. And Pedro Cachin has, uh, has already knocked off the number one seed, Gregoire Barrer. So he has continued his success here early in the week. Your thoughts on all things split. Your thoughts on, again, the action we are going to see unfold. Who are your favorites? Who are the guys you're watching from here on in? And maybe if you want to talk about any of the performances, obviously, uh, please, by all means, who stood out? Yeah, so, I, you know, it's nice to see finally uh, a name we haven't really yet talked about in this podcast. So it's nice to finally see Quinn and Hoese start to, you know, consistently put something together. He beat uh, Masur in the first round, who, as we saw, we've talked about him a lot because of his challenger success. And he beat him 6-3, 6-2. Now it was on clay, and Masur's success was on hard courts. But still, that was a good win um, for him. And he'll play Kachin now, a, ti- a potentially tired Kachin. So I think Hoese actually has a good shot in that match. Um, Borg is also is playing well. Um, Dominguez, I always, you know, I, I don't think everyone thinks this, but I always think Dominguez is a tough out. So to beat um, him relatively straightforward from a breakdown in the first set today was a good win. Um and he he won seventy one percent of his first serves, and ser- I think he served well in that match. Um, and so yeah, uh, like I said, we have the Basic Colorini rematch from qualifying, um, which will be interesting. And yeah, I don't want to ca- like I said before, don't count out Elias Eli- Elias Elias um, Yermer, um because he really was close to beating Kavchic last week, um, and if he beat Kavchic, he might have been in the final. Um, so, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, he's fluid, uh, it, and he's a guy who plays front foot tennis and so explosive from the baseline, he's going to keep you on your back foot. It's a it's a dangerous proposition, yeah, to go against him. All of these guys capable. I think that's what's going to make this event so fun. And, I mean, yeah, you look at some of the notable performances. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little disappointed in our boy Kimmer Kopenhans. That was a very winnable match against Sir Dorusic, and he just wasn't able to put really enough pressure on uh, the wild card. But, yeah, I mean, Kolar Vukic tomorrow, Zuk Martyrer, like, Get out of here. It's going to be an outstanding day of tennis. Yeah. Um, If only the time zone was better. (laughs) Yeah, well, no, the good news is for the people like me who are up at 4 a.m., 5 a.m., you can start with that, take a quick power nap, work your way into the Monte Carlo action all the way through Orlando. And, you know, with that in mind, we've finally gotten there. Let's talk some Orlando Challenger, David. And you look, of course, the return of Mike Cation, the return of North American action. I know that's something near and dear to a lot of our listeners. You look at the results we've seen thus far in Orlando. These courts are playing pretty quick, in my opinion, David. And, you know, the big standout upsets, Chris Eubank, 6-1-7-6 over Steve Johnson. Christian Harrison, 7-5-6-3 over Mackie McDonald. I talked about both of those matches on yesterday's mini break because I just couldn't resist myself. My takes were, I'll give the quick synopsis, uh, Eubank's, 
oh my God, did he look good. Like that result had everything to do with Chris Eubanks. And he got a little lucky. Net cord return earned him the break for 5-4 in the second. Now Johnson got that break back, but it was another backhand net cord return that trickled over that earned him the mini break in the second set. For Christian Harrison, with all due respect, I think Mackie missed 35 approach shots yesterday against the net tape. Like, he had that match won. And no disrespect to Christian Harrison, who made him earn everything. But Mackie missed every ball by, like, a millimeter. Yeah, I was that was I was going to say is that he missed a ton of opportunities. Um, like on break point, like I remember in the second set at one point, like it was almost painful. I think he had like a backhand up the line that like just hit the tape where like I was like already looking for it to be a winner. Um, you know, looking at the court, like expecting to see a winner. It was just, yeah, he lost in straight sets, but it felt a lot. It felt like at any moment he was going to turn that match around. Yeah, I I mean, it just to all uh, second set he had like six break point chances, and I swear to God he missed four forehand approaches, and like it was always in the same spot. He missed it in the net tape, inside in every time, and it's just like sometimes that's just the way the ball rolls. And I really do think Mackie McDonald's been a top fifty player here yeah. to start the season, and so I'm not concerned with this loss. Nah. It was literally the same mistake every time. And that's just a bad day. Well, in the that office. was like kind of like Jordan Thompson against uh, Pear uh, in in Monte Carlo. He would always approach to the uh, Pear backhand, and it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> no, it's it's a fair point. Yeah, and it's just like, but it wasn't about what is Mackey do. It was just like, and you could see it in his face. He was like, how do I keep hitting the net? Yeah. you could hear it in Mike's commentary. Mike was the same way. He's like, oh boy, like oh. Oh, just every time. You know the way he does that. Is yeah, local. small margin. Um, no, it, 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 it's understandable. But again, great performance from Harrison. Great follow-up for him, given we haven't seen much of him since Delray Beach. He looks locked in physically. And like all Harrisons, they hit the serves with a bunch of kick. They hit through their backhands. They're tough outs physically. I sort of cut you off on the Eubanks thing. I apologize. Oh, no, Your you thoughts did. on no, no, you, you know, No, no, no. Yeah. I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, your thoughts, the other upsets, you know, Eubanks over Johnson, Brooksby, is it an upset that he knocked off Jason Jung in no. straight sets? I'd say no. Braden Schnur, yeah, Schnur straight sets over to Belo as well. Your thoughts on the seeds getting knocked off? Yeah, um, so I want to also say that your guy Kovacevic uh, had a nice win over Kiraz in uh, in uh, three sets. Uh, he served 73% first serves and... Uh, one and 60% second serves one. So it was a good serving performance. It got kind of tricky in the second set. He served for the match and then got broken twice in a row. Um, so that was, uh, but that was a good uh, win for Kovacevic. Um, yeah, I watched the Schnur uh, Tabula match. Tabula just did not look comfortable on hard courts. I think uh, the reason why he uh, did so well on uh, in Miami, you know, with qualifying, or really, I remember he beat Zoomer in Miami. Um, was because those courts are kind of slower. Um, they were kind of playing like clay courts a little bit, but I don't see Tabilo as much of a hardcore player. Um, yeah, I, exactly. And Schnur, with these quick courts, the big serve, the big forehand, he took advantage of his opportunities. And, you know, he wasn't the only one. You talk about Kovacevic, who had a million break points in the second set, really should have won that match in straights yesterday. Um 
he gets called for like a hindrance at five four. It's really really funny, and um, I mean not funny. How do you definitely match with him and Her- Christian Harrison playing at? I think Kovacevic is that match is going to be on his racket, on his Kovacevic? forehand, his serve. Really? Yeah, yeah, they're legit weapons. Like when he has open space, his ability to hit the slice serve out wide yesterday to the Kiro's backhand on the deuce side. That's a really like granular thing but that was just like an elite skill because he goes slice out wide now i'm hitting big to the open space and the bet he makes is when he hits his bit his forehand on the rise early down the line he's just gonna beat you to the spot and he's got good hands moving forward yeah the backhand gets a little slap happy at times or he'll just get a little stiff on that wing but he's a good mover like i just think he's got the bigger weapons in the match and i do think he wins that one tomorrow, but I do think it, you know, it, you know, the Harrison kick serve to the Kovacevic backhand, you think that's an obvious attacking point, but I really like the Kovacevic backhand, and so, yeah, I don't know. You I, know there's I, someone I th- we haven't I, talked about. Oh, give me the, who have we talked we about? We have yet? not talked about Martin. We've got a couple. Uh, Martin Dam, he, he didn't, he didn't win yesterday, but I was really impressed with him in qualifying. He won against Maria. Um, he won 6-0 in the third. He, uh, he won 83% of his first serve points against uh, J.C. Aradone from a set and a breakdown. He won 79% of his first serve points and won that match um, and really looked like the more fit player. They both had to play twice in a day um, because of rain. Um, but that was a great win for Dam. Um, he looked like the veteran. Um, and then against Mo yesterday, yes, he lost in three sets, but it was still a good performance, and he won against and he won 73% of his first serves in that match. I love, I really, as if you've seen, I don't know if you've seen any of my tweets, I really like Dam's game. Yeah, I mean, when I watch Dam play, it's still too early for me. Like, I need to see more. He's, what, 6'6"? Like, big, lefty, the serve is going to work. But just, you know, when Mo could get two, three shots into the rally, and I mean, Michael Moe's such a tough physical out. It's crazy to think Michael Moe's the grizzled veteran now, and Matt Martin yeah. Dam's the one who's young on the come-up. Uh, but, you know, Mo did a great job adjusting and just getting that ball into Dam's body. I mean, physically, he was just worn down after yeah. a tough run through qualifying. But, yeah, I mean, you watch him play. He belongs on the professional circuit. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and I liked what I saw from Dam on clay too. So I think mm-hmm. his ra- and I think his rally tolerance is getting better, um, which is a good sign. Um, yeah, I I would echo all of those sentiments. Another big server who stood out to me, Tim Van Richeven, took it to Mitchell Kruger. Yeah. His first serve was untouchable, and he was playing big with his forehand wing as well. I you know the twenty three year olds what like top three fifty in the world, top four hundred range. It's a little one dimensional. But that one dimension is awfully impressive. Yeah. No, it, it, he, remember we were talking about him being a point away from beating Stricker, and he would have had a great chance to win that tournament if he beats uh, Stricker in, uh, we're ta- in Lugano um, in that third set tiebreak. Uh, so, yeah, he has a huge first serve. He can smack aces with ease. Um, he's a great player. And then another guy that we uh, haven't touched on that I really, I appreciate his passion. Um, it can be a little much at times. I think you know where I'm going here. Zane. <laughs> Zane. Uh, I, did you see him at all? The heavy, he, I, in, in Delray. I My, there's a tweet from, from last year's Orlando challenger where I said, I don't know what it's going to look like when it's finished, but I'm in on Zane Khan. Like the stuff. ball explodes, explodes off of his yes. record. We've talked about this before. Oh I yeah. Think. 
I mean, I don't know if we we've definitely maybe yeah we've definitely probably both talked about him. Um, where he's able to you know he's really aggressive. He takes that he has a really good mental mindset. Um, and he is a huge fighter. I love I yeah. People get mad at guys like Khan and Evans for their you know for screaming and their passion, but I'd rather that than seeing a robot on court. You know so. Um, yeah, I, that's fair. I agree. He's clearly in on. The, yeah, I agree. He's young. I mean, and again, he plays a fiery, high power, high intensity game style. It's not, you know, I think the intensity from these young guys, whether it's Khan or Brooksby, who, you know, the single most intense thing about him is his attitude on the court is his relentlessness. Uh, I love that fact about all these young Americans, how driven they are and just their ability to get the job done. And, yeah, I would throw Zane Khan again on the list with the Svidas, the Brooksby's, the Nakashima's, not quite the Korda's, but of guys you just have to watch if you're a fan of American men's tennis, a fan of these players on the rise. Now, your other winners oh. who we haven't talked about, uh, just quickly, Chelik Bellic, uh, Bellic Gunaswaran, Sabeth Vild, Uchiyama, uh, and Roberto Sid, your other other winners on the day, and as we look towards the draw now, round of 16 play happening as we're recording this podcast here on Wednesday, but... You know, interesting matchups. Top half of the draw, you've got Fertangelo, Schnur, Sabethville, Sid, Van Richeven, Kudla, and Mo Eubanks. Bottom half, it's Gunaswaran Sock, Kova versus Harrison, Brooksby, Chelik Bellic, Khan and Uchiyama. Your thoughts on what we're going to see the rest of the week in Orlando, David? Yeah, um, I I really don't know. I this, <laughs> Good answer. This is a very even draw. Like, like anyone could win this. Um, well, maybe— Maybe not. Uh, I I actually think that the two seed Ukiyama. I'm not sold on him. He didn't look. Great. No, that's a good call. I would also be Polanski, surprised if uh, Sabathvild wins it. Polanski blew that match badly yesterday. Um, in terms of he had easy forehands in the game. He got broken to lose the match. He had easy forehands in that game that he just struggled with. Um, I'm not convinced on Ukiyama. I actually think Khan could beat him. Um. I really uh, Jack Sock, you know, if he's if his forehand and is firing, although you know Gunnis Warren's gonna with his Gunnis Warren has a nice lefty forehand, he's gonna try to get that ball in the sock backhand as much as he can. You know, if Eubanks can serve like he did, like he's capable of, it's possible. Um, re- I think it'd be a first serve uh, bonanza if we saw Eubanks uh, Van Riethoven in the next round. Um, yeah, yeah, that's oh, it's a very for tan. I mean, might be just like we talked about with Cleveland. Just for Tangelo, might just move his way through the draw again. And yeah, no, I I think that's completely fair, David. And you know, again, I, I said this early in the week. Fratangelo is the guy for me. I watched him in Cleveland. He is playing so well right now. If we get a rematch of last year's carry first round between Fratangelo and Sock in the final, I'd be all in on that. I think Dennis Kudla is playing really good tennis right now as well. I think, as you mentioned, all of these guys capable of bringing the title home. Certainly, if you want to talk about by results, one could argue Jensen Brooksby's had the best challenger level results of anyone remaining in the draw here in 2021. So it's a wide open field it's why i was so excited to talk about it on today's podcast should be a really really yeah, fun there's ending. one thing you mentioned uh, nakashima i just want to say that well I... quickly i'll let's transition to that because we're going to talk belgrade now and brandon nakashima into the quarterfinals as he knocks off hugo delian today and not and just knocks was... him off dominated 
Yeah, and he beats Ben Shatri in three sets as well to advance to the quarterfinals. It would have been very easy for him to make the decision to play in Orlando, be comfortable on the hard courts. He does the hard thing, goes and gets some red clay repetitions. I have it in my notes. I tweeted at you. Brandon Nakashima, sneaky good mover on clay courts. David, he's looked good this week. Yeah, we were... I mean, it's a small sample size, but we are looking like we were wrong about him on clay um, when we did the next-gen pod on him. Um, he won 55% of his return points today. He he controlled the baseline very well. I did not like Delian's court positioning, but I have to be impressed. But Nakashima pushed him back. He served well. He he really kind of suffocated Delian. He never really gave Delian a chance. Um Deli, he was so consistent. Like there were not any unforced, like there were not like batches of unforced errors. Um, like I maybe was expecting on clay from him. Um, there were, he moved well. He he was really laterally um, moving really well in the clay, which again I was not expecting from him. So you know what, good for Brandon. Um, he's he's clearly putting in the time, and his net play is looking pretty good too. So. Yeah, he's looked outstanding this week. I agree with you. And again, he wants to be playing French Open qualifying ATP level events full time. To do that, you're going to have to play on hard courts. You're going to have to play on clay. You're going to have to play on grass. Just from a coaching perspective, for his team to make that decision, let's go play uh, some clay core events. You look for Brandon Nakashima, who I believe, if memory serves me correctly, was a junior French Open quarter finalist back in the day. If not quarter finalist, maybe it was the fourth round uh, that he made. But you look for him, he still really has played very, very few clay court matches in his career. In total, uh, across level, he's only played 11. David and yeah. you know he played the Barcelona Challenger last year where he made uh, it made it through qualifying made the round of 16 then lost first round matches against Garcia Lopez first round qualifying match against Viola last week uh, this week now to get the two victories under his belt to get the more repetitions it's just too early to say what sort of player he's going to be on clay courts and so I love that he and his team again make the decision to go play this event uh, but you look now here in the round of 16 players who have advanced thus far. Blaz Rola, who we talked about already, he's back into another quarterfinal, gets a win over Ben Bonzi. Fasundo Bagnus, your number two seed, advances. Demir Zumher, Liam Brody, and Joseph Kovalik, your other winners on the day. Let's see Carbias what the other two match. To win. So Carbeas Benya, he's taken on Trungaliti. He's your last one to finish. And then Taro Daniel Antoine Huang uh, still to finish as we're recording this. Your thoughts on all of the action happening in Belgrade this week? Yeah, so Carbeas Benya has struggled a little bit. But again, but if, you know, when he plays well, he's better than the rest of the field. Um, and he looks like he's pretty locked in. Um, he had a tough first round against Rinderneck, but he won that in straight sets, was able to gut that match out. Um, I think he would be the favorite against uh, Rola in the quarterfinals. Um, good for Liam Brody. Uh, I don't necessarily associate his game with Clay, but he's just crafty. Um, he's a crafty player. Nice to see Philip Kohlschreiber back. Um, it's been a while. I was actually just wondering where him and Dalga Polov were. Um, and then, yeah, um, Ham, Ham, I want to get this name right. Hamad Medjid. Dovich. Uh, nice first round win for him. Um, he's a young guy. I, I first saw, I first uh, heard of him during the pandemic exhibitions. Um, that was a nice first round win. And then, yeah, Facundo Bagnus, you know, 
finalist in Santiago, uh, ATP, is also still left in the draw, and he's playing Kovalik, another good clay quarter. So the field's strong, and I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, uh, I would echo everything you said there. Uh, you know, Bagnus has been such a tough out of late. He was a guy who had some success during the South American clay court swing, so expect that success to translate here at the challenger level. Uh, you know, Sebastian Ofner played fantastic tennis to knock off Daniel yeah. Galan in the first round. That was such a fun match, and Galan played well. This wasn't like an off day for Daniel Galan. Ofner just took it to him. His willingness to hit his backhand down the line to keep Galan from cheating over on that ad side to hit inside out, inside out, inside in forehand, which is legitimately an elite pattern. Like, I'm, I'm all in on Daniel Galan. He's going to beat someone good. During this French, uh, during this clay court stretch, but Ofner played great. He was willing to take the backhand down the line, willing to put. You know, he's got a big forehand backswing, which he's afforded more time when he's playing on clay. That was a fantastic result, and for Liam Brody to beat him in three sets and beat Nikola Miljovic in straight sets in his first round. Brody's playing the best tennis of his career. He's making the leap. And is that leap top 100 ceiling? I don't know. But if he's going to get there ever, it's this season, David. I think he's shown his best stuff. Yeah, I know. He's so consistent. Um, and he and he gets the ball deep in the court. And he plays a good variety. And it's, yeah, it's it's been, it's really good stuff. Um, I, have, I have nothing but good things to say about him. And he seems like a hard worker and a good guy, so. Yeah, I would echo all of that. Um, I would, yeah, it, again, and to your point, it should be a really fun week of action in Belgrade and just across the ATP Challenger yeah, wanna, Tour. Is it, do we have time for me to just say one thing about David, Monte Carlo? Not only do we have time to say one thing about Monte Carlo, the last thing I wanted to ask you before we go, not only do we have the spectacular ATP-level event in Monte Carlo, but we had a 15-year-old win a match yesterday in Charleston. Maria Osorio Serrano, former Junior U.S. Open champion, wins her first title in Bogota. There are a lot of exciting things going on, and so I wanted to offer you the floor. Any final thoughts uh, yeah, before we this, wrap up today's show? This isn't actually about the tennis. I just want to say that I'm disgusted with uh, how players are treating the umpires um oh, i just you know point. what and for sitsy pass to say that with his brother who should be on the futures level tour himself to say that he the, the umpire needs to go back to the futures level tour that's just despicable um and the fact that they get away you know he, he, like he, i don't i ain't see a fine for him or any sort of you know actual punishment that would get him to change his attitude it's this hadn't gotten um, the umpire Gavis uh, Owen on Twitter was pointing out how many times he's been abused recently you know, over his career the past few years by players. It's ridiculous. I'm surprised he hasn't given up, you know, on the sport yet with the way that he's being treated. It's disgusting. What do you think? Yeah, it's it's just a terrible look, and it happens event in and event out. And I brought up the hindrance called on Kavasovic. Uh, I actually uh, in his match. I actually, like, was – I could not have respected the way Kovacevic handled it more. He was like, you know what? He, he sort of asked the chair umpire about it. He was like, well, what did I do wrong there? And he was like, look, I, we can talk about it more after the game. I don't want to ruin the flow, but you yelled too early. And Kovacevic was kind of like, you know what? I did yell too early. And it was just like a very cordial, pleasant exchange. Now, I get as a tennis player – 
especially when you're playing like a server who's hitting these 137 mile per hour bombs and you're just like that ball wasn't in and what is anyone going to do about that call because you're going to get it wrong 30% of the time no matter who you are whatever human you are that ball's just going too fast and like I get why you're going to get frustrated as a player it doesn't help your performance. Yeah. It doesn't make you look good. It doesn't help anyone to take it out on the chair umpire. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with airing frustrations, but you can do it respectfully and not come off as an which so many of these players have of late. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, you know, we a lot of times, you know, tennis is seen as this like kind of elitist, entitled sport, um, and stuff like that doesn't help. Um, yeah, you want to know why, that's why. Yeah, and I want to also say, yes, you mentioned, uh, we, we, you want to talk about Charleston a little bit. I, first off, good, Osorio Serrano um, winning yesterday was almost as impressive, I think, as her winning Bogota, because that just shows, you know, she was fired up. She she treated it like it was the final of, like, a tournament. Um, it was really impressive how she came back in the third set. Um, awesome stuff from her. Uh, she really... She is a great counterpuncher. She turns defense offense in a flash. Um, and then, yeah, uh, Linda Vertova, uh, the 15-year-old, she has a very impressive game. Um, her serve is the only issue. It, even Elise Cornet, who was limping around the court, who knows what was going on with that. Uh, she Even her, she was smacking return winners, but besides that, I was so impressed with Fruvertova. What do you think? Yeah, she moves the ball so well around the court. Like, I don't even think she's got that big weapon yet, David. Like, I, I don't, when I watch her versus a uh, Tossin, like, you watch Tossin for six seconds, and you're like, oh, she's going to live in the Arena Sabalenka power neighborhood where they're just crushing balls. And mm-hmm. I don't know if they're yet in the Serena Williams tennis na- power tennis neighborhood, but power's never going to be an issue for Clara Tossin. For me with Fruvertova, it was the way she moved the ball around the court. It was the fact that Alize Cornet, for some reason, felt the need to, like, avoid hitting to her backhand because of how well she was taking the ball early on the court. And she's 15 freaking years old. She tracked down everything Cornet threw at her. She wore Cornet down physically. Like, that's crazy. And she's a top junior in the world as well. It's not like this is a flukish thing. It's not like it's a one-off result. She's had a high degree of success her entire playing career, which is still so early, and I just I don't see why it would stop. It reminded me of watching a 15-year-old Coco Goff where you're just like, oh, yeah, she does everything well, and she's still really, she really needs young. needs to beef up the serve a little bit, for sure. Uh, same with Coco back in when she, you know, her serve still isn't that great, but it was even, you know— more uh, raw in when she was back that young. Um, but yeah, but no. 15, they're, you know, she's 15 years old. I don't want to like, yeah, of course I wouldn't. Uh, most players in their 15 years old need to beef up their serves. So the fact that she can even compete at this level with their serve, the way it is, is so impressive. It's good stuff. Um, it'll yeah. be tough physically to recover though. From that was a physical match. No, it was a brutal one, and I think who does she have next? No, it's uh, who faces Shelby Rogers next? I think that that's Claire Lou who has Shelby Rogers next. But yeah, for for Vertova, she plays I mean, Navarro. Um, yeah, that and that's a fun one. I mean, no, those are oh, two wait, that's high level player we can talk about. Nav- Navarro's forehand is a real weapon on clay. Um. Yeah, I would. I would say. 
yeah, she's just good. I mean, it's her hometown event. Like, yeah. home court advantage, as we've learned, uh, in Colombia, Italy, and Spain last week, this week in Charleston. It's a real thing, I guess, uh, in the tennis world. And Emma Navarro certainly has it in spades uh, in uh, in in being her hometown event in Charleston. But yeah, no, again, these are all fun things to keep in mind. And I know, you know, beyond our discussion today, David, you're writing about all of the fun things happening across the tennis world. What have you written lately? And as always, what do you have down the pipeline? Where can our listeners find it all? Yeah, so I've been doing, um, for y'all, I did uh, three players to watch out for during the clay court season. Um, so I'm not going to spoil who they are, but you might have, you know, we. I don't think they're too big of surprises. Um, uh, we can, we might in the future do some more Carlos Alcaraz uh, discussion, which we've talked about. Um, and then for last word on tennis, I've been doing Monte Carlo predictions. Uh, Monte, Monte Carlo, um, I don't think there's going to be any too big surprises there either. You know, when I'm previewing Nadal Del Bonus, uh, <laughs> but uh, that's what I did for today. It's like, I tried to have some suspense, uh, but it was just, uh, I mean, we all know who's going to win that. Uh, yeah, but it's fun doing predictions, you know, and then seeing how wrong I can be. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, no, that, me. yeah that, that's half the fun. Maybe you'll be able to jinx Rafael Nadal, David. Maybe you'll be the one who's able to slow down his clay court success. But as always, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Hope you are staying safe and healthy. Hopefully this provided you a little bit of, again, a relief from all of the stresses of everyday life. And of course, we look forward to having you on the podcast in the future. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. As always, stay safe, my friend. Bye. Hope all of you enjoyed today's conversation with David Gertler discussing all things ATP Challenger Tour. A huge thank you to David for taking the time to chat with us today. If you want to read more of his work, you can find it on our website, crackrackets.com. You can find it on Last Word on Tennis or on Twitter. He's at TennisBlogger1 or search All About Tennis Blog to read more. And again, uh, it's been so great to get him almost pretty much weekly here on the Great Shot Podcast. We've got some other things in the queue to expand our challenger tennis coverage expand our coverage of the tennis world in general that i'm excited to share with all of you listeners but be on the lookout for some more challenger centric related news as well really excited to bring that to all of you listeners starting next week of course if you've missed anything that's happened in the tennis world this week whether it's the college tennis action the, the atp and wta tour level action you can catch up on all of it on our website crackrackets.com of course like subscribe review this podcast the mini break podcast where i'm breaking down the action in monte carlo and charleston every day cracked interviews podcast we had pepperdine's women's tennis head coach pear nilson on the show so if that's a conversation that interests you i know i had a blast one of my favorite personalities in the college game be sure to go check that interview out you can read pieces from david from myself our expanding team at cracked rackets on the website and again you need the more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly? I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out as always to the super producers, Max Fleegner and Daniel Westoff for the 
of an ending job they do day in, day out. Shout out to our friends at Turner Grip as well. Contact sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. Let, Crack Racket, let them know Crack Racket sent you and you can become a part of the Turner Grip family. With that in mind, for my wonderful guest, David Gertler, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Turner Grip, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.